Well, as you know, we've been talking about spiritual warfare. As you know, there's a spiritual enemy who is real and against whom we continue to battle in a great struggle. This is war. And the territory that we fight for is not some piece of land, not some country's borders, not some global or geographical ground. We are fighting to claim communities. We're fighting to claim families. We're fighting to claim children. These are our ground. Our hostilities are not about flesh and blood. We want hearts. We want consciences. We want spirits. We want their affections and emotions and desires, and we want all of them. And so today, it's important for us to review the strategic plan. And I've got the plan here for us so that we're all aware and we're all on the same page about what's happening here because it's incredibly important, and I need you to pay attention Because the enemy has a weapon that is lethal to our cause. Pay attention to what that is. Pay attention to what what the enemy can use against us to defeat us. First, let me just say this. Let me just say, never forget. Ever. Never. Never. Never forget our previous success so soon after creation. I mean, never forget that we are the ones who drew first blood. We did now, remember, over a silly piece of fruit. (laughs) How ingenious of high command. Think about it. Think about it. His very first words to that pitiful pair. Did God really say? Did God really say? Get them to question the very word that created them. That's it. That's it. Shade the word. Twist the word. Redefine the word. Brilliant. Over a piece of fruit. Which, of course, led to exile from Eden. Which, of course, led to the murder of a son. Which, of course, led to more murder and more mayhem. Which, of course, led to a tower. Which, of course, led to the scattering of community. Which, of course, led to a flood. At our enemy's every word, high command countered with doubt and defeat and death. And even when our opponent's chosen people left Egypt, and even when they finally parked on that piece of Mediterranean property, our great general baited them to believe that what they would see with their eyes was more attractive than what they should hear with their ears, the word the word. Oh, how our great general manipulated them to crave the very same sensual pleasures as the allies who bordered them. Lovely, lovely. So much so that then they they cried out to me, we want a king too. We want a king too. Give us a king. Give us a king. (laughs) And finally, finally, like a weak daddy who'd rather placate the whiny toddler than discipline the brat. The enemy relented. 
And oh to, oh, to see that toddler. Oh, to see that toddler ride the seesaw of bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king, up and down and up and down and up and down. I mean, the enemy didn't know what to do, what to do, what to do. Send in the Assyrians. Send in the Babylonians. Send in Persia. Send in Greece. Make up your mind. Now the Romans, what? Doesn't he know what to do? Evidently not. Our great general's plan for independence was unstoppable. Or so it seemed. As you know, events in Jerusalem have taken a surprising turn. After 400 years of no word, out of nowhere the enemy appeared. I mean, he appeared. Not one of his prophets or teachers or an, another text. I mean, he himself came. He himself. He himself appeared in the flesh to rescue the miserable things. And he lived the very life he wanted for them all along. And, and then he spoke. And when he spoke, he was an unsheathed sword. He struck the earth with the rod of his mouth. With every syllable, his words slashed us and subjected us and even cut into our great general. It is written, he said. And again, and again. And I've never seen our father flee like the day he fled in that wilderness or at that temple or at the view of the nations. I mean, every, every time the enemy spoke, we shook. And when he ordered us to leave those we tormented, I mean, how could we resist? Have we ever been able to resist? Have we? He withstood every temptation, every seduction, every snare, every trap against his flesh failed. This, this lone warrior, this single soldier suited in full body armor, righteousness, truth, salvation. He was impervious to our flaming arrows, yet he kept marching, he kept charging, he kept coming at our front lines, at our trench lines. He kept coming. He resisted the bombardment of our finest artillery. He was unstoppable, and, and he breached he breached our walls. He, he came inside. And once within those walls, victory was in his hand. Victory was in his hand. But then he did the most, the most unthinkable thing. Once within our walls, victory in his hand. He dropped his sword. And he took up a cross. He surrendered. His life. said something about substituting himself for them, forgiving them, honoring his father's code and taking their place of punishment, upholding the righteous standards of his father and putting the world in a right standing with him. If you ask me, I think it was stupid. It was foolish. <laughs> a slave's death. A slave's death it would be because our father ran him through. Ran him through right there. What a victory. A slave's death followed by a burial in a borrowed tomb. Lovely. Lovely. It, 
It was all so perfect. Global dominance and independence would soon be ours. If only he hadn't risen from the dead. That's a problem. So the plans have changed. The plans have changed. Listen closely. Our goal, our goal is no longer outright victory, rather just shared misery and collective chaos. We want, we want, we want demise now. We want discouragement. We want fragmentation and isolation. We want disheartenment and deflation. We want to pick them off one at a time. We want to bait them and we want to bite them. We tempt them, we trick them, and then we tear them apart. And we must make haste because they're not just in Jerusalem anymore now. They've scattered. They're in these these communities and, and they're not... They're not separated by race or ethnicity or tribes. They're not identified by a political party. They're just identified by their leader's love. Our enemy told them that everyone would know that they belonged to him if they but loved one another. Well, this has to stop. And we must make haste and and we must intensify our efforts to divide them and to entice them and to to worry them. We we must get them to lower their shields so that we can thrust into their guts the guilt and the shame of the past. Enough of this grace talk. We must get their little community gatherings to be more concerned about what they did yesterday than what they're to be about today or tomorrow. We, We... We must get them to huddle inwardly and convince them that enough has already been done as far as their little weekly gathering goes. And that way they'll be distracted. That way they'll be bored. Take away their vision. They'll perish. And above all, above all, we must get them to put down the one weapon at their disposal which will in fact hasten our demise. Their leader has ordered them to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. His Word has always wilted us. His Word demolishes our strongholds. It is living. It is active. And now His Word is in their hands and His Spirit as well. And now they march against our front lines in their leader's own armor, mind you. Truth. Righteousness, faith, like legions in hand-to-hand combat in close range as one. Quickly unsheathing it as one. Fiercely thrusting it as one. Our gates can never prevail against them. So we must at all cost keep them from using this. Hear me, colleagues. This is the one weapon which will expose us and defeat us. Never let them use this word ever. Make them think that it's just a word. Not the spirit-breathed word. Make them think that it's an inspirational word, not the spirit-infused word. 
Make them think that they don't need to belong to the enemy's kingdom in order to grasp the enemy's word. Make them think that all they need is information, not transformation. Yes, 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 of course, of course. Continue to keep them busy. Distract them with events and holidays and images and technology so that they won't have any time to stop and even think about this word. Give them activity and pressure them to be everywhere at once and make them feel so rushed that they don't even, they don't even know how to take 15 minutes and hear this word. Yeah. Make them think that they don't need the enemy's word to stand firm. Make them so frenzied in flesh and blood, urgency of everyday life and work and war and play and politics and economics that they can't them how psalms and hymns and spiritual songs can calm their souls and give them peace. We don't want peace. We want chaos. We want agitation. Make them think their weekly gatherings are nothing but child play. You know, that it's the, that it's the soft side of life in Western civilization, a cultural additive Useful to society, much like a museum or a library. And make them suppose that the most important thing in their gathering is the sound of the music or the look of the facility, not the content of the word. Make them think that they can use another weapon to fight us. Make them think that godliness is of some value, but physical training has value for all things. And make them think that if they obey, the enemy will love them rather than the enemy's love enabling them to obey. Make them think that. Make them think that other faiths and philosophies are so strong that all is hopeless. Make them think they are circling the drain. Make them think their survival is up to them, not the Spirit's intervention. And if all that fails, if... If you, if you can't keep them from the word, oh, then do this. Do this. Make them microscopic technicians of it. You know, hypercritical theorists talking about it solely in academic or linguistic terms, never what it would actually do to their lives if applied. Make them always learning, but never loving. Inflate their minds with knowledge and drain their hearts of love. Yes. And if that fails, if all that fails, then make them use the word two-edged sword. Make them use it against each other. <laughs> oh, yes, get them, get them into petty arguments over minutia. Gather them into factions so that they will slash each other. And get them to do this to the neglect of the poor and the needy, the very ones that They've been called to help in the first place. Turn them into the kind of scholars that crucified their king. Just make sure they don't use it. And use it with skill. Because if they ever do, we're done. Listen. Listen, I could be in trouble for saying this, but you need to know this. You need to know this. The most important thing you hear this morning. I could be in trouble, but here it is. 
The enemy's spirit-empowered and skillfully used word is sufficient to defeat us. The enemy's spirit-empowered and skillfully used word is sufficient to defeat us. It is lethal to our cause. And so, don't let them use it because I've seen it used and it's, it's lethal to our cause. I've seen it like like when one of their own is at the hospital and they need comfort, this word has the power to soothe. Like when anxiety and depression weigh on them, this word, this spirit-infused word, has the power to lift them above the fray. Like when there is need for direction and decision, this word is sufficient to help them do the wise thing. Like when they ask life's most important questions, who am I Where did I come from? Is there life after death? When they ask about the world so visible to us, yet so invisible to them, this word tells tells them the truth they need to know. If only the fools knew that we demons believed in one God. If only they knew the unstoppable power at their disposal. If only they knew that this word can slice the soul from the spirit, the bone from the marrow. It can excise the sin yet preserve the sinner. If only they knew. If only they knew that this word hidden in their hearts would keep them from sin. If only they knew. If only they knew that the shared word and the lived word had the power to transplant lives from our kingdom to the kingdom of their leader. If only they knew. If only they knew that this word could in fact lead them to the very place we once lived before the rebellion. If only they knew. If only they knew that this word can change them and train them into the very likeness of our enemy, if only they knew that this word is light in the dark. This word is an oasis in the desert. This word is fresh, hot, out of the oven bread for those who are starving. If only they knew. If only they knew that this word is their leader's final word. One of their own prophets has said, these are not idle words, they are your life. If only they knew that their leader is the word. So we must do more to ensure that the word so lethal to us remains idle in them. And you must do all you can to keep them from reading it or learning it or saying it or praying it or sharing it because ultimately this spirit-filled word is, is the one name that is above all names. It is the one name. Well, it is the one name before whom our high command himself will one day bow. Yes. I can barely I can barely bring myself to uttering this name, this word. But so that you may know of whom I speak, I'll say it. I'll say it.
Jesus. Hey, 